Amen. Hey, uh, grab a seat, and as you do, get a Bible on your lap, Galatians chapter 5. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, somewhere uh, on the floor around you, you will hopefully find a black Bible laying there. Grab that, turn to the table of contents, find the book of Galatians. I want you to see the things we're talking about are coming from God's Word today, Galatians 5. Uh, While you turn there, I just want to read for you one line that we're going to find in this passage that we're going to study today. And it says this, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Uh, When I read that, there's something in my heart that just wants to shout, yes, teach me how to do that. Teach me, Lord, how to walk by the Spirit so I do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the Christian We do not walk out the Christian life in our own strength. Living the Christian life in the power of our own flesh is an oxymoron. We can't do it. Yes, there are things God calls us to do, but the things God calls us to do can only be done in the power in which he gives us to do it. And good thing for us that our good and gracious God has given us a helper, Someone to come give us the power to live out the Christian life. We're starting 2020 uh, with just spending the first couple weeks of the year talking about what has God called this to be? Uh, we're, We're trying to not assume that all of us in here understand maybe what we're going for with what we're what this is called to be. And what I mean by this is the church. We're raising our vision to see that God has called this big and beautiful bride of his, the church, to something deeper than just gathering for a service one day a week. It's something deeper than just uh, going to a building. It's something deeper than we're just part of some kind of like organization. But we're trying to raise the vision to what we believe God's vision for his bride is, that we would see ourselves as a worshiping family on mission together. And all what could happen if we would see ourselves as this worshiping family. We're family, y'all. And all the good of it, and all the weirdness of it, and all the bad of it, we're family. We're a family that worships the King of Kings. And we're a family worshiping the King of Kings on a mission to see those who aren't yet worshiping the King of Kings worship the King of Kings. That's what we're going after. And as a family, we rally around this mission. And our mission is to glorify God by making disciples. All that we do, all that we say, all that we're about, as we say around here all the time, we are upright and breathing another day for one driving purpose, that God would get glory from our lives, that God would get worship from our lives. We talked about it last week. We come to church to worship him, but guess what? We leave the church service to worship him. And how we go home and how we interact with our family and how we go home and how we attack our job, all of these things are worship. And so we're to glorify God in all things. And as a body of believers, we believe that God is glorified when we're on this mission together of seeing disciples made. Now, we said if we're going to make disciples as a church, we need to understand what are disciples. What are the characteristics of disciples? What do disciples do? What do disciples look like? 
And how we talk about that around here is we say disciples of Jesus, they worship him, they walk with him, they work for him, and they witness for him. And so today we're on the second of these W's. What does it mean to walk with Jesus? And now I'm going to preach to us today from Galatians chapter 5 of walking in the Spirit. And I'm telling you up front that I believe to walk with Jesus is to live a life of walking in the Spirit. That those two are the same things. We can't walk with Jesus apart from walking by the power of the Spirit. It is the very Spirit of Christ who is dwelling inside of us. And so this is what we are going to get after today. And I want to show us from Galatians chapter 5 kind of three beautiful things that are true for the Jesus follower when we're walking by the Spirit. Now, let me let the cat out of the bag up front. Um, I, I so wish that, I think anytime we hear a message on walking by the Spirit, if you're like me, you're waiting for like, give me the three secrets. Give me like the three things that I can put in a jar and we can bottle and we can take it home and we can start doing it. Here's the thing that I feel so inadequate to stand before you today because the Spirit has to teach us today how to walk by the Spirit. I feel so, like all week long I've been wrestling with like, Lord, can someone else preach this? Because I do not feel adequate at all to teach what does it look like to walk by the Spirit? And the Lord in His goodness has just been reminding me all week, my Spirit will teach how to walk by the Spirit. I was, as I was praying to close the first service, the Lord just brought this to mind as, as I was praying, and I just want to say it up front to you. This is so crucial for us to understand. Like I'm praying, if this is the most dry, dull sermon you've ever heard, that you'll still lean forward and get this because we can't live the Christian life out apart from the Spirit. And, and, and I think we in our culture are battling something in an even greater way. We're brought up to be so individualistic and so autonomous to say like, I got this and I can do this. And yet the Christian message is a good and gracious God sending his son coming to earth to say, you don't got this and you can't do this. It's hard for me to admit that though. And yet as we were praying to close the first service, the Lord brought to mind this. If he has given us a divine helper, why would we try to do it on our own? The answer is, my pride, but he has given us a divine helper, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. So Jesus, teach us today how to walk by your Spirit. And so let's ask him to do that in prayer right now, and then let's get into his word. Father, would you teach us how to walk by your Spirit? We confess to you we can't live a life pleasing to you apart from the power of your Spirit. We confess to you, Lord, I confess to you, I can't speak for them, but I confess to you, um, my dependence on you is so lacking so often. And even when I am trying to depend on you, I'm only depending to a, to a degree. God, would you teach us um, to completely rest in the power of your Spirit? 
in all things, with every step, in everything we do, Lord, teach us to walk by your Spirit today. Teach us the beautiful outcomes that come when we are people walking by your Spirit. And Holy Spirit, I am casting myself on you right now. You have to teach this message. You have to be the teacher of how we walk by you. Do not let me say anything that's not accurate that your word unpacks. And Lord, bring to mind things that haven't even been prepped that you want to say, please, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Um, in order to teach this, we're, again, just like last week, we're jumping into uh, the middle or towards the back of a letter. And when you're jumping towards the back of a letter, you got to understand what's going on in the letter. Now, uh, the nice thing for us is we don't have to go far into the book of Galatians to understand kind of what's on Paul's heart as he writes this letter. Galatians 1.6 says this. It says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Now, if you know anything about the Bible or the Apostle Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul never struck me as just kind of a laid-back, chill, go-with-the-flow kind of guy. And so you see what is on his heart as he's writing this, but I want you to feel the urgency of what's on his heart as he's writing this. Paul had uh, been with these people in this region of Galatia. He had brought to, him, brought to them the good news of the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ. He had brought to them this gospel that freed them from trying to earn their righteousness by uh, obeying the law. He was saying to them, you cannot earn your righteousness by law-keeping. It's impossible, and I say to you, just to remind us, American Christians 2020, we cannot earn our righteousness by law-keeping. We have been freed by the good news of the gospel of grace of Jesus Christ, that we are saved by his grace alone through our faith alone. And it's such good news. It's such good news for the most goody, two-shoe, morally upright person in here because you would still fall short of the righteous requirements of the law. Now, Paul's brought them. The people of Galatia have tasted the freedom of it. And yet, uh, sometime on Paul's heels, legalizers came to the region. And they said, what are you talking about? You cannot be saved by the grace of God alone. You must follow the law. You must earn your righteousness. And they brought this false gospel, this terrible gospel, that in order for them to be saved, they had to keep the law. They brought again a bondage on these people that righteousness came by law keeping. Paul gets wind of this and he's like, no. How have you so quickly deserted the gospel and brought back on you this yoke, this bondage that God does not want you to bear? And so throughout the letter to the Galatians, Paul's going to remind them over and over again of the freedom that they have in the gospel of grace. Where we're picking it up in uh, Galatians 5 verse 13, Paul will have been hammering on this freedom over and over again. You're free in the gospel. You're free in the gospel. You're free in the gospel. But now he wants to remind them of something in their freedom. That's really important for us to be reminded of as well. Galatians 5 verse 13. For you were called to, what's the word? You were called to freedom, brothers. Now he gives a warning. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. 
He says, uh, you, yes, it is saved by grace alone, through faith alone, period. But don't use your freedom now as a license to sin. Don't use your freedom now as an opportunity for the flesh. But then he says this, instead, but through love serve one another. And he goes on, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Okay, let me give you the first point, then I want to explain it, where I'm getting this. When we walk by the Spirit, the Spirit empowers us to serve one another in love. Okay, all throughout this letter, Paul's been talking about enjoy the freedom that you have in the gospel of grace. You are not under righteousness by law-keeping that can't save you. But now he says, but, but now let me say this. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity to indulge the flesh. Do not abuse this freedom as, oh, great, it's grace alone. Sin, let's go. No, that is to miss it. He says, instead, instead of using your freedom to indulge the flesh, you use your freedom to serve one another in love. Now, I'm arguing that walking by the Spirit has a corporate implication that should lead to us as a body serving one another in love. But if you're a student of the Word right now, you should go, he hasn't even brought up the Spirit yet. Where are you getting this? Are you asking that? Thank you. Verse 16, but I say, he's going to bring this flesh thing back up, but he's going to contrast it by the Spirit. But I say, walk by the what? Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the, the desires of the flesh. I'm arguing here the way we don't make an opportunity for the flesh, the way we don't gratify the desires of the flesh is to walk by the Spirit. When a group of Christians are walking by the Spirit, there is a corporate, a group-wide implication that we begin to live lives of serving one another in love. Now, this is really important because often when you come to a message on walking by the Spirit, immediately we can individualize it. Okay, okay. Lord, I, teach me how to learn how, to, how I walk by the Spirit so that I can live a life pleasing to you. And that's good. We're going to get there. There are personal, individual applications to a life of walking by the Spirit. But I don't want us to miss that it's like the first thing Paul wants us to get as he begins this conversation of walking by the Spirit are the group-wide applications of it. That a group of Christians walking by the Spirit will live out a life of serving one another in love. And it's beautiful. Um, before I knew Jesus, and I'm guessing this is similar to your story, I didn't like to think much about serving others. And um, some of you may have been better people than I was before you knew Jesus. Um, but I, I would press you on something. Even as I look back at the times that I appeared like I was serving others in love, I can always look and see how actually I was serving myself a lot in the process of it. You with me? 
There's something miraculous that happens when we cry out on Jesus by faith and he gives us his Holy Spirit that he begins to orient our, de- our desires away from how do we just serve ourselves to how do we serve others. And it's crazy when we start to see it. I'm not saying that you don't ever battle with selfishness after you know Jesus. I think we all know that's a reality. But it's crazy when you begin to see the Lord put in your heart a desire to serve others in love. And what is awesome, when you walk into a body of believers and you see this going on like crazy, those people just serve one another. Why? Because they love each other. They actually love each other. This is the hope for us. You with me? And the way that we live this out here as a church, yes, happens in this room right here. But, but I would argue it is really hard. Um, it is more difficult to carry out serving one another in love led by the Holy Spirit if we just gather as hundreds of people on Sunday morning. It can happen here. God does amazing things here. You can begin to get to know the people who sit right by you, and over time, they can begin to minister to you, and you can begin to minister to them. But I'm telling you, if, 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 if Harvest is your home, and I love you, and I'm just trying to shepherd you, and all you're doing is coming on Sunday morning, you will experience serving one another in love, led by the power of the Holy Spirit, maybe to that degree. And this is why we gather believers between Sundays into living rooms that we call small groups. I don't care what you call them. All I care about is that there's some space in your life where you are getting out of a row here into a circle with other believers, 8, 10, 12, 15 people who know you and who are known by you where true serving of one another in love led by the power of the Holy Spirit is happening. It's vital. It is crucial. We cannot serve one another in love by the power of the Holy Spirit if we're not knowing the one another's in each other's lives and how we serve. So, um, now, I get it. Some of you have tasted the goodness of what this looks like at its best. And some of you have tried this whole small group thing, and frankly, it ain't all that it's cracked up to be. Come on, you can be honest, right? Some of you have tasted the depth of the vulnerability and just truly all life together, and some of you, you've just like, no, that shallow thing you're talking about, that's all I experienced in a small group. I've, I've done it, I've tried it, I'm done with it. Can I push you? It takes time. And it takes a whole bunch of you pouring yourself out for the group. And if we're family, there's going to be people in that circle in a living room you love to hang out with. And then there's going to be people who are just flat out weird. And I know you're never the weird one, right? I was someone, except when our group leaves, sometimes Erica's like, you know what? You're weird sometimes. And it's messy. 
And there's some nights where you're like, the Lord met with us in power. And there's some nights you're like, ah. Felt like all we talked about was a couple so-and-so's dog sprained toe. That didn't happen in my group, okay. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, it's worth it. It's worth it when you get there. Both services are looking out at some of our small group people. And it's like we've been, you know, the one group, like, I think going on like two years now. And it's, it's taken time, but like we're getting there. And it is beautiful. Needs are being know, made known. And the group's trying to step up and meet needs. Y'all, it's hard and it takes time and there's people you click with and there's people you don't. But like, I want us to know the joy as a church of what happens when the Holy, when we are walking by the Spirit, serving one another in love. It's amazing and it's miraculous. And I'm, I'm just, I'm worried for us. I'm worried about a good worry. In four and a half years, God has grown our church in crazy ways. But I don't ever want us to settle for some shallow definition of serving one another in love by the power of the Holy Spirit when God has called us to something so rich and so deep that can happen between the Sundays. You with me? All right, so I got a challenge. If you are not connected to a small group, will you take a step to connect to one this week? No excuses. I travel on Mondays. Great, we got Tuesdays. Tuesdays are a little rough. Great, Sunday afternoon should be phenomenal for you. Will you take a step? Go to that next steps area. Say, yeah, I know. I've tried this before. And frankly, I'm skeptical, but here we go. We'll take it that we would know the joy of serving one another in close community the way that I think God has called us to. If you are in a small group, will you pray for your group to walk by the Spirit and serving one another in love? Will you begin to pray daily that your group would continue to learn how to walk by the Spirit and serving one another in love? Would, the, would you pray that your group would be a place where the Holy Spirit is bringing to mind things at certain times and people are texting other people, I'm praying for you right now, I don't know what's going on, but I'm praying for you, and the other person's like, oh my goodness, you have no idea what's going on. That type of stuff can happen. That, that you would pray that the Holy Spirit would be leading your group in such a way that the serving, there's the supernatural serving and love. And then if you are in a group, the last one, and the group experience has not been one of vulnerable serving and love, and it's been the kind of this shallow thing that you're like, frankly, we're on the fence, we, we think we're jumping out. Will you humbly ask God what he's calling you to do to change that? Keyword humbly. No one walks in this week going, hey, frankly, this has been pretty shallow. Leader, you're out, I'm in. <laughs> that would not be humbly. What I mean by this is you humbly going before the Lord to say, Lord, maybe we're not deep because I'm not willing to confess my sin. 
Maybe this isn't going anywhere because our marriage stinks and we show up every week and we put on a face like everything's great. Maybe this is shallow because we don't have the slightest clue how to do this parenting thing, but we act like we're the experts on it when we show up. Like humbling ourselves before the Lord and bringing that kind of humility and transparency transparency to the group. Why am I talking about small groups? All of this flowing out of For you are called to freedom, brothers. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. That we would learn the art and the joy and the beauty of loving, serving one another in love in the context of close community during the week within our church. And I'm arguing This is what happens when a group of believers are walking by the Spirit in love. Now, that's kind of a corporate implication. Let's get to some of the individual implication of what happens when we are people walking by the Spirit. When we walk by the Spirit, the Spirit empowers us to, secondly, crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. And let's just be honest. Who wants to hear how we crucify the flesh in our life, right? I need that. I'm guessing you do too. How do we see victory over sin? Where is the power for victory over the flesh? Here we go, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. How many of you know that feeling, that Romans 7 feeling? Why do I do the things I don't want to do? And why don't I do the things I do want to do? The battle between the flesh and the Spirit that rages inside of us. But if you are led by the Spirit, verse 18, you are not under the law. We'll come back and talk about that. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Okay? I'm going to read these slowly. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit convict as he needs to. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality. Impurity sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. And if you've come to the end of the list, you're like, okay, I'm safe. Paul's got a catch-all. And things like these. These are the works of the flesh. The works of the flesh are merely the desires of the flesh acted on. 
And then a really scary note after this. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Deep breath. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I want the second list, not the first. So let's talk about this. I got some questions that bubble to the surface in my mind when I read these verses I just read to us today. And the first of these questions is this. What does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Who's with me? Who are the pragmatists in the room that you're like, can you just like, Lord, can you just lay out a path on the ground and just show me? What's it mean to walk by the Spirit? And again, I'll say it again. I think it's as easy as three pragmatics we put in a jar and we bottle up the top and we give it out. But I found uh, John Piper's sentence on this helpful and pretty obvious. Walking by the Spirit is what we do when the desires produced by the Spirit are stronger than the desires produced by the flesh. Who remembers when you came to the Lord and you, and you had maybe a desire for something that was not godly, was flat out sinful, and then over time, or maybe for you immediately, you come to know the Lord, and you're like, I don't desire that the same way I did. You with me? The desires of the Spirit were stronger, are stronger than a one-time desire of the flesh inside of you. And so walking by the Spirit is how we walk. Um, Walking throughout the Bible is this picture of the pattern of your life. The pattern of your life is led more by the desires produced by the Spirit than the desires produced by the flesh. Um, I got another question. Verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. What in the world does that mean? If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. This is a group of people who at one time um, believed that they had to try to earn their righteousness by the keeping of the law. Paul comes and he frees them of that with the gospel of grace. Legalizers come on Paul's heel and they put the yoke back on them. Paul writes here, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. What I believe he means here is that there are no outside set of laws or rules that that can impose righteousness on us. Let me say it a different way. There are no outside set of rules or laws that can create righteousness in us. You, You need proof of this? Remember growing up in mom and dad's house? Some of you still are. Remember you not even want knowing you wanted to do something until mom and dad told you that you couldn't? Oh, now let's try that. Why can't I do that? Let's go, let's go, um, let's go sniff around right to the edges of what they said I couldn't do just so I can see maybe what they're talking about. There was something about the rule that brought out in you like, ah, let's go check this out. Christianity is not just 
some outward set of moralistic rules that you impose on your life in hopes of becoming righteous. Christianity is depraved people, utterly depraved people, falling to the mercy of God, manifest in Jesus Christ, calling out, save me Jesus, being filled by his spirit, who now is producing the fruit of the spirit from your heart inside out. So young Christians in the room, young people in the room growing up in Christian homes, who all you've been thinking is just a list of rules. No, it's not. It's a relationship with a heart changer. I didn't get it till 19. I've told you that over and over again. But when he came in and changed my heart, It changed. (laughs) If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. It, It doesn't mean Christians are just lawless. No, it means your heart's been transformed. And the fruit flowing out of your heart is what is pleasing to the Lord. And then another question I have on this section is this. Paul writes, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things talking about the works of the flesh, those who do such things, the works of the flesh, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And you go, what is Paul contradicting himself? He's written this whole letter about being freed from uh, being saved by law-keeping, and now he comes to this section and he says, but if you do those things, you'll never inherit the kingdom of God. Is Paul preaching here works righteousness? Is he preaching salvation by law-keeping? And the answer is no. What is he saying here? Paul is not saying that the works of the flesh that these people are living out is determining their relationship with Jesus. It's merely revealing the relationship with Jesus or lack thereof. Because how does this work? A depraved person is saved by the grace of God alone the moment they cry out on Jesus in faith. And I'm praying if you don't know Jesus, today would be the day you cry out on him in faith. The Spirit will draw you and woo you and win you surrender. The moment a depraved person places faith in Jesus Christ, they're given the Spirit of Christ inside of them. Uh, Someone with the Spirit of Christ in them will begin to produce more and more the fruit of the Spirit in their life. Uh, A life with the fruit of the Spirit being born in it is a life increasing in righteousness. So, Paul's argument, if there's no increasing in righteousness, there's no fruit of the Spirit being born, there's no Spirit in their life, there's no faith with Jesus Christ. That's what he is arguing here. But when we have faith in Jesus Christ and when we have the Spirit dwelling in us, we crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. And it's sweet. And then, not only is that old works of the flesh crucified and increasingly so as we grow in Christ, When we walk by the Spirit, the Spirit empowers us to thirdly see the fruit of the Spirit flow out of us. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And then verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, he's saying there, if the Spirit is the source of our spiritual life, and it is, y'all, if we live by the Spirit, If the source of our spiritual life is the Spirit of God, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us walk with Him. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. We want to see the fruit of the Spirit flow out of us. Amen? Let me remind us of something. The works, it says works of the flesh and fruit of the Spirit. Works of the flesh, fruit of the Spirit. The works of the flesh are the actions I take to act on the desires of my flesh. The fruit of the Spirit, I can't produce in my own strength. The fruit of the Spirit are byproducts of a life walking by the power of the Spirit. Let me tell you from this week an amazing lesson God gave me on this. So it's Tuesday morning. I'm on second day of studying for this week's message. I'm pumped over this passage. I'm thrilled to teach it here. I'm excited for what God's doing in my own heart about it. I'm driving home that evening to those and I'm telling the Lord, Lord, I'm gonna, the fruit of the Spirit is going to flow out of me tonight. I'm going to be the most patient I've ever been. So, um, we live in a 150-year-old farmhouse, so I have a second job. My second job is catching mice at night, okay? And um, um, this, the, the ridiculousness of this story, it's ridiculous. And so, my mom's down. She's helping us with the kids for the week. And um, I'm walking to the back room before we go to bed to set up the mouse traps. And Erica says to my mom, yeah, but he's only got one left. I've been telling him he needs to get more mouse traps. And I'm like, what? I don't have just one mousetrap left. I have three. If I have three mousetraps left, why would I have ever said that I have one? Okay, husbands, your wife doesn't like to be talked to like that, especially in front of her mother-in-law. And I'm like, where did this come from? There, a second thing happened later that night where I was just short and just impatient and just like just cutting with my words. And, and I went to bed that night and I laid my head on the pillow and after asking her forgiveness, I was just laying there like, Lord, we talked about this. I said I was going to crush it tonight. <laughs> and our God is so good. He just, just reminded me in the spirit of my heart, his spirit impressing on mine, Brock, You can't produce patience on your own. You need me to bear the fruit of patience when talking to your wife about how many mousetraps there are in the house. We need him at every moment as we walk by the Spirit to be bearing this fruit in us as we live in the power that his Spirit gives us. Am I right? Moment by moment, day by day, word by word. 
Lord, teach us to walk by the Spirit. And so this is the part in the message that I feel the most tension. And all week long I've wrestled with it because I want to give you the three things now to go do this week to bottle up how you walk in the Spirit and go do them. And I can't. I believe the Spirit has to teach us how to walk by the Spirit. I don't believe there's a list of pragmatics I can give to us today that says go do X, Y, and Z and you'll walk by the Spirit this week. But I will say this. Though it might not be a list of pragmatics, I do believe that it, there's, there's a posture to it and there's a pace to it. Let's talk about the posture of one walking by the Spirit. The posture of one walking by the Spirit is the posture of one who's humbled himself under the hand, mighty hand of God. Who, when his wife says there's only one mousetrap left, and the power of the Spirit replies humbly, because who really cares? There's a posture to this. There's a posture to saying, Lord, Sunday afternoon, I think I know what's coming today, and I think I got it all under control, but I don't. I don't know what's coming, and I don't have it under control, and if something unforeseen comes in my Sunday afternoon, I have beyond the capability to respond in a way that is totally of my flesh. So Jesus, I don't have this. Help me. And then tomorrow, Lord, it's Monday. And then moment by moment throughout the Monday, that we would walk by the Spirit. There's a posture to this, and there's a pace to this. We have, we have stuff to do. We have places to be. We have things to get done. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Do you know what I find? Be super practical. The fruit of the Spirit in my life tend to diminish the more hurried I am. So you know what I did this morning? I drove the speed limit here. <laughs> this dude with like his bright lights on truck came up tailgating me. So I just pulled over to the side, let him go by. Hey, before you think I'm holier than thou, listen, if it was yesterday, it would have been a different story, y'all, okay? There's a pace to this. Walking by the Spirit is waiting on the Spirit. It's slowing down enough to go, Lord, who, who do you have for me here in this moment that you want me to minister to? It's slowing down enough to go, Lord, I, here's my plan for the morning. I lay it at your feet. It's yours. If you want to execute the plan as we've laid it out on my schedule here, great. If you want to completely turn over the tables of it, great. There's a posture and a pace to this. So I just want to close today a little differently as we seek to head out to another week of walking by the Spirit. Instead of a closing song, I just want to close this time for you, personal prayer. A couple things to maybe guide this prayer time here. 
anything from this passage that convicted you, that you may need to confess and repent of, do that. Any confession of how quick you are to lean on the wisdom and the power of the flesh instead of walking by the Spirit, confess that. Ask Him to teach you this week how to walk by the Spirit. Ask Him in moments where you are to to, to, do, yes, 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 Brock, yes, yes, right there. More of that. Ask Him to lower your posture and slow your pace. In this time, you may want to grab the hand of a spouse and be praying that together in your marriage or in your house. You may feel led to pray over a friend who's sitting next to you, but in the closing minutes, let's ask the Holy Spirit to teach us how to walk by the Spirit this way.